audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. John chapter 1. I like the book of John. Um, it's one of those ones, if you, if you ever have the privilege of, I call it a privilege, <laughs> some people might debate that just a little bit, of getting to know the Greek language a little bit, you would see that, that the book of John is written in a very basic way. It's often where people go to first when they're, when they're kind of learning a little bit about Greek. But it doesn't mean it's not profound. It's just, it's just simple. It's quite easy to understand. And all that being said, there are a couple things mentioned right here in the beginning that's not the easiest to understand. So we're going to dive into it a little bit today. You know, some of the, um, some of the greatest childhood game rules, it would be truly wonderful to be able to apply them to real life. I mean, just think about that for a moment. If you could take these rules that entered many, many childhood games and the games that you probably played, all right, what if you could take these things and put them right into life? How about this one? The timeout. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Anytime, anywhere, you don't have to schedule it. You don't have to apply for it. Just anytime. It's like, all right, timeout, timeout right here. Take a break, everybody. Everybody Stop. Stop for a moment. It is, it's time out time. Okay, that would, I like that one. How, how, about, how about this one? Switch teams. Switch teams. I mean, would that, wouldn't that be cool? I know that the, the, the Chiefs would have loved that, you know, um, a few weeks ago. I mean, just all of a sudden, you just switch places with the other team. I, I could handle that one. Now, this one needs no explanation whatsoever. Snack break. Okay, I think we all, I think we all understand that one. Um, how about this one? The redo, the redo, uh, do over. Maybe that's what that's what you called it when you were a child. The do over. Okay, it's like the ultimate mulligan. It's like okay, just forget what just happened there. We're going to do that over now. The redo or the do over is one thing. Now this takes that to a whole new level. How about this one? The start over, the start over. I mean, wouldn't that kind of be nice to just like? I mean, wouldn't it like? By have you ever felt like at the end of the day? You wish you could just do that over, like the, you call do over, redo, the start over, whatever you want to call it. It would be so nice to be able to do some of these things. Today's passage of scripture isn't the, just the beginning of the most famous of the gospels. Like we said, the first four books of our New Testament are all gospels. They are the accounts from four different perspectives of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is by far the most well-known. But what we're going to look at today isn't just the beginning of that account. This marks the beginning of an entirely new creation. To put it bluntly, John's original audience was not interested in historical figures Dates, places, this sort of thing. Maybe some of you can, maybe some of you can can understand that, can relate to that. I don't care about the dates. I don't care about. Just tell me what happened. That's all. That's all I really care about. Um, John, uh, and if you want the details, go to the Gospel of Luke. Go to the Gospel of Luke because that is the detail man, and he is, it is chock full of detail. But if you just want the facts, if that's who you are, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts, okay? Then, then John is your guy. Now here's another reason, though, why John's account is just a little different. It was the last one written. 
okay? It was written after the fall of Jerusalem. That took place around 70 AD. And I cannot, historically speaking, I cannot emphasize that enough. When Rome finally decided they had had enough with Jerusalem, they destroyed it to the level that the temple, 2,000 years later, guys, never rebuilt. Okay? So you're talking about complete and utter destruction. And what that means is that so much had changed between the time of Jesus walking the roads of Judea and Galilee with his, with his band of followers and disciples and the time that John wrote his account of Jesus. A tremendous amount of things. Life had changed. Because of this, and as I've already said, the fact that the other three Gospels were written when John wrote his, John doesn't begin his quite the same as the other three. Now, specifically, Matthew, if, I mean, we, it wasn't that long ago. Seems, seems some ways like yesterday, some ways like a long time ago, I guess, to some of you. But Christmas wasn't that long ago. And we don't go to John when we go to Christmas. We go to Luke or Matthew, really Luke. So when you see the beginning of, of John, it looks entirely different from Matthew and Luke and somewhat different from Mark as well. They start with Jesus or the time just prior to Jesus John starts with the beginning, folks. I mean, he goes way back, so let's look at it. John 1, 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. Now, most of us have probably heard this before. Most of us have the understanding that this Word is something personified. This is Jesus. But if, if you did not know or understand that, how confusing would these first few verses be to you? You see, that word, word, okay? In the Greek, the, the, what's behind it is, is, is logos. And the closest direct translation we have to that is the basic root of say, to say something. It has been called the speech of God. Now, translators, because understand, we, this wasn't written originally in English. This gospel was written originally in the common Greek language of the day. And it, like I said, it was a common language. A lot of people spoke it. A lot of people could understand it. That's part of God's timing in bringing all this about at the right time. So when translators were taking it from the Greek and putting it into other languages, specifically English is, is what we're dealing with, the translators worried about this because they wanted this to make sense and they weren't quite sure what to do with this word logos. It's not that Jesus is a word. It's like Jesus is, is God spoken. I mean, maybe this is the best description. Remember this, remember this description when it comes to Jesus in John chapter 1. Jesus is God's word in action. God's word in action. Okay, let's put this in a way that we all might be able to understand it. Because if this isn't your life now, it quite possibly was your life at one time. If it's your, not your life yet, buckle your seatbelt because it might be coming for you, all right? And what I'm describing here is we got dad in the front seat, driver's seat, okay? 
we got mom over here in the passenger seat, and behind them, we have the youngins. That's what we got, okay? And they're going down the road. Dad is driving. Mom is on the phone with a very important phone call. And in the back seat is brewing a brouhaha. You understand? Because we, we all know when the brouhaha's are coming, okay? And they're not brew fun fun, okay? So, so dad's up here. Now dad knows that it's mom's will that he does some things here. First of all, get him quiet in the back seat and maintain that. Secondly, stay on the road while, while you're doing this. And those of you who've been in that place before, Dad accomplishing mom's kind of almost unspoken will just right here and getting this done. Guys, guys you got to be like Superman here for just a moment. Like superhuman, okay? And I know some of you understand this because you've been, some of you, this might have been you this morning coming to church. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, the spirit is working today. The preacher just described our way to church today. All right. When you look at Jesus and his role through creation, what we got to understand here is superhuman does not even attempt to describe the role that he played in creation. God performed his will through his son by design and by choice. Now here, just for a moment, why don't you, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mark, I've got notes here to do it with. You don't have to do this if you don't want, and I'm going to cheat. I've got this marked in my Bible, Okay. I want to show you a couple of other places other than Genesis, because that's where we'll go here in a moment, where God works through the Word. Okay? And the first one comes from, both of them come from the Psalms, by the way. The first one comes from the 33rd Psalm, verse 6. I'm just going to read it for you, and we have to, have to move on. I'm going to give you a chance to look. It'll be on the screen behind me. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all of their host. Guys, I want to tell you what happens in that very concise little verse there. We see all three parts of the Godhead at work. Because we see the word at word of God at work. That's the son. And then that, that breath thing that you see there. Now the Hebrew language is kind of a picturesque language, much like the Greek. The breath of God in the Old Testament is God's spirit. God's Spirit at work. So we see God creating through the Son and by the Spirit. Teamwork, all right? Now turn over to the 107th Psalm and see that long after creation, God continues to work through His Word. It's 107th Psalm, verses 19 and 20, and this is what it says. The people of God had once again gotten themselves into a mess. Huh, imagine that. And this is what it says. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distress. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. So we see God working time and again through his son. He does this by design as well as by choice. So let's continue on with this. The word, I hope we're all on the same page here. The word is the son. We now call him Christ Jesus. Okay. Let's continue. Verses 2 and 3. We're back to John now. He, the word, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. 
If you were to look back to Genesis 1 through 3, the creation account, what you would see is that God created everything in six days. And each one of those days began the same way. And they began like this. Then God said. He spoke it into existence. By his what? His word. Yes, the Son was there. Understand something, brothers and sisters. If it has been or is yet to today in existence, it came to be through Christ Jesus. There is nothing that has come to be in this world, no created thing that did not come into this world through Jesus Christ. I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of night. I, I am. I, I, I like night. I like to sleep when it's dark outside, okay? I like to, the darkest, the darkest time of, of the night, you take the moon out of it because you get a full moon, that throws everything off, okay? But the darkest time of night is often the time right before the day breaks or the day dawns. If you don't believe me, go out there and look at it and just, just see that, okay? I, I, I've, I've, I've always liked that, but I have a feeling I would probably feel a little different if there was no day. I mean, you got to have what's on the other side of that. And if there was no light, I don't think I would like being in the dark all the time. Matter of fact, Jesus describes eternal punishment, eternal condemnation in a variety of different ways. And you know one of the ways he does it? He says to be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That does not sound fun, all right? Okay. Let's take a look at what happens with this light. Verse 4. In him was life. That's important. A very powerful theme of John. We'll see in a lot of his writing. And another theme is this. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. What's the, I, just, I mean, a little participation here. What's the opposite of light? Dark, okay, good. Um, light and dark, are they equal? Okay, let's, let's think about this. Think about this just a little bit. Okay, take, take all of, of the darkness in the universe. I mean, that's a lot of darkness, right? I'm not just talking the world. All the darkness in the universe, can all of that darkness in the universe extinguish, and I'm not talking about wind here or anything, all right? Can all of that darkness in the universe extinguish the light from one candle? No. They are separate, but they are not equal. There's another passage here that the translators had a little bit of a difficult time with. And, and, and because of that, sometimes the, the different versions of the Bible look a little different. And, and it's the second part of verse 5. But we'll read the whole of verse 5, so make sure we're at the same page here. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That's the New American Standard Version. Yours might say something a little different. And that's because that word in the Greek can mean a couple of different things, depending upon where it's found and how it's used. It can mean understand or comprehend, and it can also mean, to some of your versions, say something along the lines of overtake or overpower. It can also be translated that way. 
In other words, it can be both. The darkness could never overpower the light, but the darkness can't understand it either. And we're talking in a figurative sense in this way now. And the best way I can think of to describe this comes from one of my favorite authors. Many of you know this. His name is C.S. Lewis. He wrote a tremendous amount of of powerful information um, that we can use to to back up, to substantiate, to take a stand on the faith we believe in in Christ Jesus, because our God makes sense, and believing in him makes sense. It is logical. Don't let anybody ever tell you different. And he writes a lot about those sorts of things, but he also liked to write fiction. I mean, he wrote Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, it's, in in my view, one of the best children's book series ever, okay? He wrote one thing once upon a time, um, and it's very wildly, it's wildly popular. It's called the Screwtape Letters. Screwtape Letters. And it was basically just a journey through the way uh, men, women, people are, are tempted in life. And just the print, and it's fiction. Okay, don't, don't misunderstand. But basically what you have going on here is you have demons who are assigned to tempt a person on earth. And you've got this high-ranking this high-ranking demon named Screwtate, and you've got this low-ranking, and it's actually the, the word you'll see used in the Bible, but this low-ranking demon's named Wormwood. Wormwood. So you've got Screwtape and Wormwood. And basically, what you have is letters back and forth between them in Wormwood giving a report of what's going on with this person he's supposed to be tempting, who unfortunately for Wormwood became a follower of Jesus. That's like the ultimate of what you can't allow to happen. You don't want that to happen. And then Screwtape is not reporting, Screwtape is giving advice. And there's one part that's really, really enlightening. It is. It's Screwtape trying to describe to Wormwood redemption found through Jesus Christ. Meaning, that it was by the shed blood of Jesus that these people can be redeemed. And he goes to talking on about how God himself came in the flesh and died sacrificially to take the place of the people who deserve that death. And here's how he followed this. And we cannot understand why God would do that. There's some sort of secret agenda that we haven't figured out yet but we've got spies trying to figure out why because they cannot fathom why God would do this because they don't understand unconditional powerful love all right you see the light came into the world and the darkness in the world just couldn't understand it definitely couldn't overpower The love of God would not and will not ever be overpowered. So we continue on. What you'll see next, and we're going to skip them, okay, because verses 6 through 8 talk about the one who came speaking about Jesus, and we know him as John the Baptist, right? So we'll just kind of skip right on through that here for a second. And look at verse 9. Verse 9 reminds me of some other words of Jesus, but let's look at the words here first. Uh, He's still on this light theme, okay? John writes, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. You see, this this really reminds me of the words of Jesus in this way. And J.B. spoke about this a little bit earlier this morning. Comes out of of Jesus' probably most famous sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. 
And it's from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And one specific part in that, he says this. He says, he says a city on a hill can't be hidden. A, a light is not lit just to put something over it and cover it up. And then he says this, let your light, this is speaking to his followers, he says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise who? Praise you? No. Praise your Father in heaven. You see, brothers and sisters, as wonderful as light is, let me ask you this, maybe, maybe you don't like night, you don't like being out there right before the daybreak when it's really, really dark. If, if, if you had to do that, tell me what you would rather have. Would you rather have a candle or a spotlight? Okay? And what's the difference between that candle and a spotlight? And it's not just battery power, all right? Or fuel lighting that candle. It's what's behind the light, right? It's reflection. It's reflection that makes that so valuable. And what Jesus is telling his followers is he said, this world desperately needs you to reflect the light of God. The world desperately needs that. A candle is great, but I'll tell you what, flashlight's better, and we are to be representing God's light in this world, reflecting the love he has shown us. Let's continue on, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Let's look at that again. He was in the world, so he came into the world in which he created, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Right here, for the next couple of verses, John gets a little, he gets pretty philosophical here, okay? Those who were in the world that Jesus made did not recognize him. And we're not saying here simply an architect or a builder walking through a building that he designed and built. Jesus had a part in creating everything. Everything. Dirt, water, creatures of the land, sea, and the air, human beings, and the souls of the human beings. Jesus had a part in it all. Remember what verse 3 said. All things were created by him through him. All, everything that has come into existence came into existence through him. Okay. We need to deal with something here for just a second. Because if you take a stand for Jesus... You have faith in him, and you are willing to speak about that faith in him. Sooner or later, you will be asked this question. This question will be raised. So, so probably better get ready for it. And this is the question. Did Jesus have a part in the creation of evil? Maybe I could phrase that question in a little more accusatory way, because this might be the way you hear it. Did your God create evil? Did he play a part in that? You know what the answer to that question is? 
Yes. Now, don't throw me off the stage or anything. Christ Jesus is 100% righteous, 100% holy. God is good all of the time, and all the time what? God is good. But you know what God did do through his son, Jesus Christ? He created an environment where sin could come into being. The last part of verse 10 spells this out quite well. And the world did not know him. Those in the world, past and present, have the option of turning away from this light. And brothers and sisters, when this happens, sin is the inevitable result. You know, occasionally this happens. Unfortunately, it happens quite a bit. There's a, there's, there's a public figure who, um, who gets caught in some scandal or something like that. Okay? And if you are a public figure who is quite wealthy and you get caught in some scandal, you know what you do? You hire somebody to tell you what to say. All right, it's called a PR person. Public, you got, you, got, you got to say the right things here. And you know what we hear again and again and again? We hear the same word. Made a mistake. Made a mistake. No, you didn't just make a mistake. You sinned because you're evil. (laughs) All right? It's like trying to just, you know, just gloss it over. Everybody makes mistakes. Well, everybody sins, all right? But we need to be understand. It's not just a simple mistake being made here. And I know it's just semantics. But when people turn from the light, sin happens and when that happens verse 11 happens and verse 11 might quite possibly be one of the most saddest verses in all of the new testament and all the bible it says he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him You understand what this is talking about, right? Brothers and sisters, this is family. Who is your own? Who's your own? It's your family. Imagine coming home, hard day work, sacrificing. They want nothing to do with you. Moms, dads, how would you like that? Jesus came into the world. He came to his own and his own did not receive him and unfortunately this is nothing new it's been happening for a long time one of the old testament prophets his name was jeremiah poor fellow he preached for many many years and i don't know if he could ever say there was ever a convert from any of that preaching he's tough job And Jeremiah in Jeremiah 7, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to just summarize it for you in this way. Uh, Jeremiah tells the people of Jerusalem that he's trying, the people of Judah, that he's trying to get them turned around. And he says this, he says, you guys are sinful. Your fathers did it and you do it. And guess what? You're worse than they were. Let me tell you something, folks. Verse 11 If it wasn't followed by verse 12 and 13, we wouldn't be here today reading this. Look what happens next. His own did not receive him, but 
as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of flesh, or not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John gets right to the point, guys. And when he says this, is he's right here, right here in the middle of his first chapter, he's already pointing the picture, pointing the arrow towards what's coming in John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, Jesus is having a, a, a conference, a little, a little private session with one of the religious leaders of the day. His name was Nicodemus. And, and, and Jesus says these words to him. He says, he says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you must be born again. Now something about Nicodemus, as high ranking as he was in, in the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, um, he'd been around a little while. And, and I'm thinking, he's, he's saying, he's, he looks at Jesus and he says, come again? I mean, I don't even know if Nicodemus' mom's still alive anymore. And he's like, if she's still alive, she's not going to like giving birth to him again. All right? I mean, he's like, what are you talking about? That, that's not happening. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you're a teacher of Israel. And you don't understand these things I'm trying to say to you? He says, if you want to be in my kingdom, you've got to be born of the water and of the spirit. And Nicodemus is still a little hazy. He's still like... Huh? And then Jesus sums it all up. Probably the most famous verse in all the Bible, and you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you're a cut-to-the-chase person, John is your gospel writer, okay? That's the one you're going to be drawn to. It's like, I don't need all the details. I just want, I just want the facts, okay? Just give it to me. Shoot me straight here, all right? No formalities. John opens up his gospel, and he goes straight to Jesus, straight to the power of Jesus, straight to the authority of Jesus. Jesus is the Word. He is the action of God in flesh and bone. That's what Jesus was in this world. You want to know how God would behave if he was in this world wearing one of these body things? Just look to Jesus. That's how God would do it. Jesus showed us in almost every single scenario what God would do because he was God. He brought life into this world. He brought light into this world. He did it at the very beginning. Light wasn't created without Jesus. Life wasn't brought into this world without Jesus. 
And then many years later, when he stepped foot on this planet that he made, he brought life and light again. And what he bought with his blood is eternal. You see, Jesus didn't just come to show us how God would behave in this world. He came to die. It's oftentimes we talk about the lifespan of Jesus. It wasn't long, it was 33 years, his time here in this world before he would leave. And guys, we often take those, those 33 years and then we boil it down because we don't hear a whole lot about those 30 years. And then we get to year to after those and, and then that next three years we hear quite a bit. And we often think about Jesus spending his time with, with, a, with a group of people for three years when in reality that's not really what took place. If you look closely chronologically at Jesus' time with his followers, it was really around two years. Because the first year, although he had people following him around, he hadn't yet called those fishers of men. He hadn't called them specifically to come follow me. And you won't be catching fish anymore. You'll be catching people. Two years, people. And he spent this time with them. He poured himself into this small group of people, men and women. And of that small group, you've got about a dozen of them that he called really, really close. We call them capital A apostles. <laughs> Matter of fact, that Acts thing we're going to jump into next week, that's, that Acts is a subtitle, or is a, is a shorter version, I should say, of the longer title, the Acts of the Apostles. So he, he, he poured himself into this select small group of people and through them he changed the world. Guys, for just a moment, I got a question for you. How would this world look different if that small group of people kept their mouths shut about Jesus? Because, guys, this is the way God works. The first time the gospel sermon was preached, 3,000 people responded. You talk about hitting the ground running. The spark was ignited, and the flame was contagious. And, brothers, because of that, I hold in my hand the number one bestseller that will ever be. Nothing is going to come close before the coming of Jesus Christ, okay? This is it. Because of God working through that small group of people, there are people all around our world the first day of the week coming together with other brothers and sisters, sometimes in a very private setting because it's not legal to meet where they live. Sometimes in a more open public setting like this, large groups, small groups, all over the world, meeting together, breaking bread, studying God's word, worshiping him, being revived for the week ahead. 
It's happening because a small group of people God worked through to change the world. You, you, you do realize that without that small group of people working to change the world, that this nation might not even be here. You do understand that, right? You, you do know the history of this nation. It was founded by a group of people looking for a place where they could worship God freely. Think what this world would look like if they kept their mouths shut. We wouldn't even recognize it. They didn't keep their mouths shut. And God worked through them. Jesus is calling, folks. He still is. And he's still about new beginnings. You know what's so great about that, that those childhood game rules? Some of them do work in real life. And the best one is the start again, the do-over. And I looking amongst your faces here, there's a, many of us in this room who have gotten to do the start over. <laughs> because we came to the realization that we messed up horribly. And we needed to start over. And we get the opportunity to start over because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We get the opportunity because of his sacrifice to hand control of our life to him. God still, through his son, is about new beginnings. God is still calling his people to action. And the motivation for that is his love for us.